All right. So I have the privilege of sharing uh, God's word with us today. Uh, we have a few people out on vacation, so we're shuffling. And Pastor Sam speaking in the youth and speaking to his daughter. You know, he always has examples of his daughter, but he's probably going to use it now directly. And uh, Pastor Steve's in Irvine. And, you know, I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you guys today. Like I said, we're continuing on in Joshua chapter 11. We're up to here now. And to set the scene for what Joshua 11 is all about, I want to share a clip of the soundtrack. And hopefully you guys can remember or recognize it, okay? Or else, yeah, let's play it. Does anyone know what that is? Super Mario, right? And more specifically, do you know where that is? Bowser's Castle, right. Wow, someone's, he got there a lot. (laughs) But this is Bowser's Castle. This is the last level, right? And you're like, oh man, your hands are getting all sweaty. You're trying to fight Bowser. This is the last level. This is it. And for Joshua, this is it. Chapter 11 is the last battle. Chapter 12 and on, the rest of the chapters, it's all about now that they have the land, how to disperse it, how to divide it amongst the people. But chapter 11 is it. This is the final battle. And just like Bowser, it's the hardest boss, right? What we see in this passage is that Joshua has been, Joshua and Israel have been promised the land of Canaan, right? The land flowing with milk and honey. God has promised that to Moses and his people, and now Joshua and the Israelites. And last week in chapter 10, they had conquered the southern region of Canaan. Do you guys remember that? And now here we are in the northern region of Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey, the place that God promised, and he's battling the kings of the north. Now the kings of the north, this is where it gets serious. Uh, There's a slide with... um, the map, what we see is the red arrows, the dimly lit arrows, those are where all the nations and the kings are coming and they're gathering together. Five kings are coming together and they're going to do battle, right? Led by King Jabin of Hazor, he's mounting this attack to defeat the Israelites. And what we see is that this battle is more daunting than ever, right? Let's look at verse 4. Let's start there. And they came out with all their troops, a great horde in number, like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots. There's two things that make this this army daunting. The first is the multitude, right? As many as the sand in the seashore. Too many to count. This army was huge. And on top of that, not only were there a lot of soldiers, militaristically, they were top-notch, right? It talks about the chariots. It talks about the horses that they had. These great beasts that they could ride on and, and kill multitudes of people in a span of a few minutes. So they, strategically, they had it made. They were ready to defeat the Israelites. This was a daunting task for the Israelites. And you know, I wish this scene for entertainment purposes, I wish this scene was a little bit more dramatic in terms of the battle. But it really is not. It's actually anticlimactic. 
they defeat them pretty easily. And actually, if you look from Joshua chapter 1 and on up to this point, from all the sermons that we've been hearing, isn't that pretty familiar? It's something that we're, not, we're used to. Like if God is for us, who can be against us type of deal, right? Like if God is going to win this victory, we have nothing to fear. We've heard about the power that God had when he broke down the walls of Jericho just by screaming people, defeated the people in Jericho. He defeated the people in Ai. He defeated the people in the southern kingdom last week by making the sun stand still. These crazy miracles that God is doing are we not really surprised by this victory? And at this point, isn't the enemy pretty irrelevant? Like, no matter how daunting they are, no matter how big they are, no matter how strong they are, no matter how many there are, at this point, from all the chapters of Joshua that we've been reading, the enemies are pretty irrelevant, right? This is what God tells Joshua right after the description of this daunting army in verse 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. For tomorrow at this time I will give over all of them slain to Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. And that's the end of the battle. God says what will happen and then it's going to happen. Verse 9, a few verses later. And Joshua did to them just as the Lord said to him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. There's no details. There's no crazy battle with this amazing army that's as numerous as the sand in the seashore with chariots and horses. There's no details about the battle. It just says the Lord, or Joshua did as the Lord said he would. And he burned the, the chariots and the hamster and the horses, just as the Lord said. Now, what's interesting is that there aren't as many details. Whereas in all the previous chapters, there's a lot of details, right? When it talks about Jericho and the walls and walking around, there's all this strategy about how they're going to defeat Jericho and Ai and uh, even the southern kingdoms and the sun coming down. And there's all these descriptions, this verse after verse of what's going to happen and how it happened. But yet in this final battle, it seems like Joshua's almost rushing through it, that he wants just to get, the end of, get to the end, that he's just casually mentioning these things. And not only that, as he mentions that they defeated these northern kingdoms, he then goes on to talk about all the other kingdoms that he defeated. But he just kind of gives these one-verse uh, blips about them. In verse 18 of chapter 11, Joshua made, a, made war a long time with all those kings. He mentions all these lands and regions, and he says he went to war a long time with these kings. Like, these kings weren't even worthy of mentioning their names. He just says, yeah, we went to war with those kings, and we defeated them. This length took about five years. He's condensing five years of battles and wars into this, yeah, we went to war with some kings. That wasn't that big deal. We won. Chapter 11, verse 21. And Joshua came at the time and cut off the Anakim from the hill country. The Anakim. Yeah, no big deal. They were just uh, descendants of people who were known as giants, where Goliath came from. Like, imagine what kind of battle that would have been. And he just glances over it like, yeah, we beat them too. At this point, if you're with God... Who is there to fear? Every enemy at this point is irrelevant. What matters is that God promised it, and God answers, and they receive it. This is the final point that he's rushing towards, right? He, he's like, yeah, we won, we won, we won, we won, it wasn't a big deal, and this is the final end that he wants to really rush to. He says in verse 23, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to the tribal allotments. 
And the land had rest from war. The land had rest from war. Israelites finally had rest from war. This is what Joshua was after. This is the promise that God had given to his people. All the way in chapter 1, verse 13. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded to you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you the land. Finally, that promise is fulfilled in chapter 11. And so all those battles, it's irrelevant. All that matters is God's promise and its fulfillment. And he's saying, finally, the Israelites were able to rest. They defeated their enemies. There's no more threat on their left or to the right. God has given them the land, and now they just need to settle in it. They need to divide it. They need to give it away to the different parts of Israel. And that's what chapter 12 and on is all about. Can you imagine after five plus years of battle, what type of rest Joshua would have had? Now, can you imagine what kind of vacation that he would have liked to take? Like, you know, I, I know a few of you guys, and myself included, I love vacations, right? And imagine after five and a half years of plotting and battling, and you never know if you're going to get home, and you're like, okay, now finally we can rest. Man, imagine the vacation. He's like, hey, family, finally there's rest in Israel. All the enemies have been defeated. And I know whenever I went to battle, you, wouldn't, you didn't know if I was going to come back home, but, you know, I made it. And now, finally, we're going to go on vacation. You know, grab your swimming trunks. We're going to the Sea of Galilee. We're going to lay out, drink some goat juice. It's going to be awesome, right? And you imagine the rest, the ah moment, right? And I think all of us, we, 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 we can relate to that. You know, there's moments where we have this huge event in front of us, this project, this test. We have this circumstance. And... Once that ends, we have that vacation, or we have that uh, day trip to go hiking, or relaxing by the pool, or uh, even just sleeping in, right? To know that the next day you don't have to set the alarm clock, that you can just sleep in, you can have this rest, or it's just that feeling of the burden of some circumstance being lifted, right? Or that not that's in the back of your head where you're just like, oh, this stress and anxiety that no matter what you do, you're always worried about this one thing. And finally, that's released. And you feel like, oh, finally, it's resolved. I have this rest. I can relax. You know, we look forward to that, right? We look forward to those moments. We look forward to the weekends. That's why, you know, we're always like, oh, I can't wait till it's Friday, 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 Saturday. Because we, we want those moments where we can rest. And this was it for Joshua. They're finally able to rest. They're finally able to release that stress and say, God promised, we've received it, and now we can rest. But there's bad news. There's rest. But there's an issue with this rest. This rest isn't what it's all that it's cracked up to be. For one, it doesn't last. Uh, we know that in Scripture there were a few lands that they still had to capture, and those people actually become a sore thumb. And throughout history, constantly caused problems for Israel. And not only that, we know, if we know history, that Israel did not keep the land. That eventually, the enemies and the people around took over that land, and they lost the land. 
And so we know that this rest was imperfect because it's, it's, it was temporary. It wasn't meant to last. It's like in Super Mario 1, you know, you, you beat Bowser and you're finally so excited. And you're like, thank goodness. And then right away, Super Mario 2 comes out and Princess gets captured again and then you have to save her again. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just beat Bowser. I can't rest. I have to buy the game again and then I have to beat level 2. And there's 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. And you realize that you live for the weekend and on Monday, it comes back. you back in the grind. You have to fight again. You have another set of chores and tasks to do and accomplish. You have another issue that comes up, another stress. And then you look forward to that vacation again. What we realize even in our lives that this, this rest, this rest that we're seeking is so temporary that it doesn't fulfill us the way we want. That every time we go on vacation, every time we sleep in, we know that once the vacation is over, Monday is right around the corner. Once we wake up from our nap, we know that the issue is still there. There's an issue with the rest that we're having here. But it's not just the temporariness of the rest, it's the quality. You know, we know that no matter how many vacations we go on, no matter how many hours we sleep or how many naps we take, no matter how many times we clear our mind and clear up our schedules and our lives, that we know the rest will not be complete. That it's impossible for us in this life to have a rest where we are just completely at peace. There's always some type of emotional, mental, physical issue if not with us, around us, the people we love, that we have to deal with. But there is a short-lived rest, and not only that, it's not in its completeness, it's not in its fullness. Now, I think the problem is, you know, I say this and we recognize it, but in our lives, oftentimes, don't we just live like that? We live just from vacation to vacation, weekend to weekend, task to task, and we're so on the grind of our work and, our, and the situation trying to resolve it, and we just think, ah, oh, if I could just get to spring break, if I could just get to uh, this vacation, if I could just get to the weekend and just take my nap, everything will be fine. And yeah, there's a certain amount where there's relief in that, but we do that every week. It's almost like, you know, on you know, Instagram, people take pictures of vacation, and they say, oh, this place is literally heaven on earth. And we think about that. And what we're saying is that we think that this location, it's so beautiful and so great and so relaxing that we can compare it to heaven. And we've so lowered the standard of our rest that we think that's enough for us. That if we can just have a good vacation once a year, if we just have the weekend, if we can just have these chores and these tasks done and that stress lifted, that's enough rest for us, right? And the problem is that's, that's what the world is pressuring us and influencing us to think. But what we see is, in Scripture, God has a greater rest for his believers. Right? He has a rest that is so much better than the type of rest that we're receiving. Not to say that you, can't, you shouldn't rest like that and you shouldn't go on vacation, 
I love all that stuff, but there is a better rest that we should be looking forward to. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 4. What's cool about Hebrews chapter 4 is that, okay, if Joshua is here, they had the rest, they had the conquest, they defeated the lands. Hebrews is written literally 1,500 years later. 1,500 years later. And he's looking back at that conquest. And he says, yeah, you know the rest that they had, that Joshua and the Israelites had back then? That wasn't the complete rest. That was temporary rest. That wasn't the true rest that God wants to provide. And then Hebrews says, let me show you the rest that God wants to provide. Okay, so I want us to read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Just follow along with me. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. You see that? He's looking back at Joshua's conquest and he said, this rest was partial. It wasn't the full rest that God wants to provide. If it was, then God wouldn't have later on said, hey, come into my rest. There's a better rest that I have for you. Which he's referring to Psalm 95. uh, 95. And for the sake of time, we won't get into it, but let me just explain. In Psalm 95, God is saying, hey, Israel, I know you're living in the land. I know you have safety and you think you're resting, but there is a greater rest. Make sure you enter into that rest. What's cool is that Joshua, when, he, uh, when him and the Israelites defeated the land, they had rest, right? And they had safety and all that. Now, 400 years later, here is the psalm that is being written, and God tells those descendants who are living in the land still, the descendants, he says, hey, I know you're still living in that land, and I know that you think you're at rest, but make sure that you don't forget that there is a greater rest. He's approaching the people in the psalm. He's he's telling the audience in the psalm, make sure you're not just settled on this. And then Hebrews looks at both of those passages and he says, God wouldn't have written that psalm. He wouldn't have said, make sure to enter the rest if that rest was perfect. There's a greater rest. And I want to show you what that rest is. And the way we understand the new rest is by comparing verse 8 and verse 9. Okay? In verse 8, he talks about the old rest, and in verse 9, he talks about this new rest. All right, so let me read it one more time. It says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. All right, so there's two times he mentions rest, but there's, in the Greek, there's two different words that he's using, okay? The old rest, he calls it karapusis, which is the old, temporary, uh, not lasting, unfulfilling rest that you have to constantly seek out, but it's never fulfilling. He says, that's the one that Joshua had. But he says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest, sabbatismo. This is a new rest for the people of God. For those who follow after Jesus Christ, who are God's people, there is a sabbatismo rest for us. Now, what is that? What what is sabbatismo rest, right? Obviously, you know, from that we get the word Sabbath. It's a word to share not just physical rest, not just safety, 
but it's talking about a celebration, that we're able to have this festive party to worship God on the Sabbath, right? And, you know, for us here today on Sunday, we're worshiping God, and we call this our Sabbath. It's a day for us not just to uh, rest from work, but it's to remember the Lord, to thank Him for His grace and His mercy as we reflect back on the week and to pray to Him and to come back to Him. So what Sabbatismal rest is, is what he, and what the author of Hebrews is pointing to, he says the rest that is better than this rest, from vacation to vacation, weekend to weekend, toil to toil, the, the rest that is better than that one is a rest that is with the Lord, a rest that is in heaven on that final day. Now, what we do here we're worshiping, we're recognizing the Lord, remembering Him, and in a sense, it is this celebration. And He's saying, this is what we're going to be doing every single day. That there's no more work to be had. Now, why is this celebration, this Sabbath, celebrating the Lord and resting, why is this rest better than this rest? Why is this rest better than Hawaii? Why is this rest better than a hike, right? Why is this rest better? I want to share that with us. Verse 10, it says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so, remember the old rest? It was temporary. You know, you have it for a day or two or a week, but you go back. You, you, you lose the rest. But he says, This rest, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did. You've rested from your works. As you enter into this new rest, you begin to rest from all your works. That means, you know, you work, work, work Friday, you come, you have finally Saturday, Sunday. What that means is on Monday, you don't have to go back to work. That means after the vacation, you don't have to go back to work because the work has been completed. Because there is no more work to be had. It is just celebration upon celebration upon celebration. Worshiping the Lord, recognizing His greatness and who He is and His love for us and praising Him. It's eternal. There's no more work. There's no, nothing in the back of our mind where we're like, oh man, Monday's coming. Oh man, I know when I wake up from this nap, the kids are going to be crying. I have to take care of this. There's none of that. The rest is eternal. But not only the eternity of the rest, but it's the completeness of the rest, right? We talked about, you know, you can sleep as much as you want, go on as many vacations, but it's not going to fulfill. This rest will fulfill completely, deeply, more satis it'll satisfy you more, it'll be fulfilling. This rest is deeper and more complete. What we see is that Jesus himself, right, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, he sees his disciples, he sees the crowds, and he sees the people, and they're weary, they're, they're tired, they're burdened. They're going around living week to week, hoping for the weekend, hoping for that next vacation, saving up for that, waiting for 
just enough so that they can take a nap or enjoy just a moment where they can clear their minds and clear their heads and clear their schedules. And he, he sees them, they're tired. And what he says to them is this in verse 29. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. It's more complete, more deep than any other rest that you can have, where your soul is at rest. You know, if you're physically tired, you can go on a vacation, you can get a massage, you can do that kind of stuff to heal your, your physical you know, ailments. If you're mentally tired, you can you know, go to a counselor, get, get, you know, all, let's go to friends and find a rest there. <clears throat> if you're uh, spiritually tired, if your soul is not at rest, there is nothing that you can do to find rest except in the person of Jesus Christ who gave himself up for us so that our guilt, so that our shame, so that our desire to strive and make a name for ourselves or to validate ourselves, uh, our, our, our desire to work, to make money, to f- make ourselves feel secure, all that would be put to rest in Jesus Christ that he himself worked, that he himself gave up his very life so that we would be able to have rest. And so now, through Jesus Christ, we are able to experience that rest. It's a rest from toil. It's a rest from living weekend to weekend. It's a rest from seeking validations. It's a rest from the burdens and the stresses of our life. It's a rest from sickness. It's a rest from even looking at our friends and our loved ones who are encountering sickness. It's a rest from the burden of our guilt, uh, from our sin. And God says to strive after this rest, verse 11, to strive after this rest. What he's basically saying is to strive for Jesus Christ. And this is the application for us today, that if you don't get anything out of this, if you want rest, There's nothing, there's no checklist of A, B, and C, things that you need to do to be more at rest. The one thing is this, just strive after Jesus Christ, that you would know him more, that you would have more of him, that you would build your relationship with him, because until then, we will not be able to experience the rest that awaits us and the the, the rest that he gives us today. I want to close with a quote from St. Augustine. He lived around 300, 400 A.D., it's a Christian theologian philosopher. He says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You know, my prayer is that, you know, in your rest today, you know, as you take naps, as you go on vacation, as you go for the weekend, my prayer, as you know, mean as this might sound, and even for myself as well, is that even in those rests, that I would not feel fully rested, that I would be restless in that. Because it would remind me that this is not the final rest that we as believers should be looking forward to, that there is a greater rest in heaven that God has for us. There is a rest in Jesus that is greater that he has for us. 
And so my prayer is that as you guys go on vacation and all that stuff, enjoy it. Enjoy all of it. Because I will too. But in the midst of that, remember, God has made us for himself. And our heart is restless until we're resting in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to just come before you and thank you for your word. Father, I know that there are people in our church here today, and including myself, where we face moments of restlessness. God, that no matter what we see in the future, whatever vacation we might have, or whatever break we might take, that we are just not rested, that we're not at peace. That there's always a worry. There's always a task at hand. There's always another Monday that we have to face. And Lord, we just ask today that we would rest in your promises. God, just as you were faithful to your promises to Joshua, and you gave him all the land and you gave him rest, God, we want to pursue the deep and satisfying rest that comes from you. A rest where there is no more striving after the world or for ourselves, where there is no more toil. That we can seek after you. That we can receive this eternal rest. Lord, we await that. Remind us of how great and grand that is, Lord. But we thank you for just our church and just all the believers here. May we be a people who have eyes for the kingdom, not just for the things of this world, but who see the final rest that is to come. And we delight in it and rejoice in it and we look forward to it, Lord. We thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.